0: The Tom McGee matches out there. We preview Money in the Bank. AEW has a TV deal plus, a classic interview with Daniel Bryan, and a whole lot more. This is not Sam Wrestling.
1: This is not Sam Wrestling.
2: Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Sam. Welcome to
0: Not Sam Wrestling Hey everybody, welcome to the show We're gearing up baby We are gearing up Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling And I'll tell you what I got going on this week First of all, thank you for all the kind words Coming off of, well, for the kind and not so kind words Coming off of the uh, Tom McGee documentary We'll talk about Tom McGee and the documentary And how that whole thing came about Here on the show today A lot to talk about today So uh, I'm going to tell you I'm a very busy person at the moment Even busier than normal I've got Jim Norton and Sam Roberts That I go in and and do at SiriusXM Every single morning Over there on SiriusXM channel 103 But, you know, that's the day job. Believe it or not, that fun thing is the day job. So I've got Jim and Sam going on uh, every morning. I've got this, of course. This Sunday, I will be at Money in the Bank as part of the Money in the Bank kickoff show, which I'm very, very excited about. Of course, uh, the Tom McGee documentary that I was a part of and wanted to tell you guys about, but couldn't, uh, that aired on Monday. Yesterday, I had, uh, some of the boys from Stamford, Connecticut over in the Not Sam studio to shoot the next thing that may be coming from WWE. Again, a project that I can't tell you about just yet, uh, but it, if it turns out like I think it's gonna turn out, it's really, really cool. It was really fun to do stuff for it yesterday, and I'll tell you more about that, uh, as the day approaches. Uh, oh yeah, and tomorrow, at the time of this recording, uh, My wife and I are headed to the hospital because we got to get our second baby out of my wife's belly. So all that's going on right now. All that to say, Not Sam Wrestling still must happen. So, here's what I've got for you today. I've got a full-fledged state of wrestling that I think you guys are going to love. With so much going on, uh, we're going to talk about uh, the whole Tom McGee story. Not only the story of the match, but the story of the documentary, how it came about, how I got involved, and then what what my takeaway was on the Tom McGee match and if it lived up to the hype or not. We're going to talk about Money in the Bank, obviously, the TV deal that AEW announced. We're going to talk about Bray Wyatt. So much stuff to talk about in State of Wrestling this week. But before we get there, I wanted to share with you a classic interview from the not Sam wrestling uh, archive. Look, uh, Daniel Bryan has been a favorite person of mine to talk to for a really long time. For, he's just one of these guys that, when you sit down and you talk to him, and you'll hear it in in the interview, he just always comes across as sincere, as he's being himself, and he's telling you the truth, whether it's right or not, it's his truth. He's telling, he's being honest with his approach to everything that he does, and he's and he's telling you what he feels. Not what he thinks he should say, but what he believes to be the truth, which I think uh, you can't take for granted. It's It's a trait that a lot of people don't have. Sometimes people are trying to give a company line. Other times people are just nervous about what they say in public. It's a scary thing to put yourself out there, and it's something that Daniel Bryan has never been afraid to do. So, and you hear that, by the way. I think that's why he's so good with his character that he's portraying right now as the evil uh, planets tag team champion, Daniel Bryan. Because the elements, the core of what he's saying, he believes in. And so he commits 100% to it. uh, And it really is something to behold. I talked to him uh, with this interview uh, that we're playing today. Uh, I talked to him... Just as his book was coming out, so we'll plug the book. This is, uh, happened in 2015, July of 2015. So this was just about four years ago. This is uh, coming off of the amazing run that he had as WWE champion. This is uh, when we didn't necessarily know for sure what the future held for Daniel Bryan, but it was still kind of new, the idea that he might or might not wrestle again. Uh, but you remember, uh, when the book came out, uh, and he sat down with me. Now, keep in mind, I remember doing this interview and a lot of times I get interviews for the podcast when WWE superstars are on media tours. Uh, on this day, Daniel Bryan was doing a a media tour at Sirius XM. He was doing a whole bunch of shows. This was before I was hosting the morning show And he was going in to do a couple of other morning shows. Uh, And I said, hey, can I have some time with Daniel Bryan? And he came in early. This interview probably took place around 6.15 in the morning. I'll bet it took place around 6.15 in the morning. And Bryan is ready to sit down and talk about the ins and outs of his career. Uh, This was... uh, I believe we talked uh, about uh, what happened uh, in the match with Sheamus when he busted his head open. People thought that maybe that's why he was on the shelf for a while. So much. We got into a lot here in this interview, uh, and I thought you would enjoy it this week on Not Sam Wrestling. So that's our interview segment. It's a classic interview from 2015, right on the precipice of the release of his book. This is Daniel Bryan.
1: The Not Sam
0: Wrestling Interview. We welcome Daniel Bryan to the Sam Roberts Studio. How's it going, man? It's going really well. What's the Haps?
3: I mean, I don't know what that means. <laughs> no,
1: so. most people don't. <laughs> <Yeah>.
3: <laughs> but you got a book out. That's what it is. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's why I'm here. Yeah. It's, exactly. Yeah. yeah it's the, uh, people don't just want to talk to me. They like, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, we need you to go these places to promote this book that right. you've written. I'm just here for good conversation, yeah. pretty much. <laughs>
0: Well, they got this book out now, and it's like, even when you're hurt, you still have to do media. Yeah. Like, they got you on these ridiculous... What happened with your injury? Like, what what exactly are you injured with? Why are you not wrestling? Okay.
3: uh, So, I got a concussion in April. Okay. And that's the deal. That's it? <laughs> yeah. Was that in the Sheamus match? Uh, No, it was in a... Uh, like a tag match The next week Oh So, so it wasn't the one With the no, no, With no, no, the blood no no, and no, the... No, no 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 Yeah it wasn't the one With the blood Wait, so. How did
0: how did that one happen? Because I was, I, I was Watching Did you crack your head On a
3: monitor No I headbutted Sheamus <laughs> <laughs> So You know And it's funny Because the same thing Happened to Dolph Right uh. Literally like a week later He <laughs> also headbutted Sheamus And it's funny Because Dolph and I Were headbutting each other At like Wrestlemania And then the next night At Raw Like they were like, the headbutts were strong, you know, so they were, and neither of us got busted open. Both of us attempted to headbutt Seamus, and we both ended up Just bloody. immediately, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> you would think, though, with somebody who suffered concussions, that you would know how to headbutt without cracking your own head open.
3: Yeah, oh yeah, you, you would think. You would think. You would think, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, sometimes, sometimes I get a little bit frisky out there. I so. guess so, yeah. <laughs>
0: And is that one of those things? Like, do you get in trouble when you get back there and you're bleeding, or is it? Do they just chalk it up to? Okay, sometimes so he gets frisky.
3: It was no. Um, I think what happened because Sheamus has a reputation of just kind of like laying stuff in pretty, pretty, yeah, pretty heavy. I think they blamed it on Sheamus at first. Like when I got <laughs> to the back, people were like, but I was like, no, no. Like we had a very physical match. Like, uh-huh. it was a bit like, and I enjoy that style. There's not you can't do that with everybody, right? right. You know, like. uh but I like doing that with Seamus. Seamus and I like to go out there and like kind of beat the crap out of each other. You know, it's part, you know, it's a weird thing to say that that's something that I enjoy. It makes me seem like I have some sort of weird fetish about putting a, yeah. putting on my underwear and then getting I, beat up by I other t- men. I, went, <laughs> so, I, I
0: dated a girl in high school that I was trying to explain wrestling to. Yeah, and they were like, so they know who's gonna win. I was like, yeah. And they were. she was like, but they're really hurting each other a lot of the times. So I was like, yeah. And she was like, is it like sadomasochism? Yeah. I
1: was like, no, what?
3: No, no. Stop putting those thoughts in my head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, what? Yeah. <laughs> you got it all wrong. Yeah, yeah, no. So, so yeah, no, but uh, they were, then they, Brie was the one who was upset with me. Bree, because she was sitting there watching as they're putting these stitches in my, in my forehead. And she's like you are so stupid. <laughs> and I don't know if those are the, the exact words. She probably was being nicer about it, but my the, internal monologue was per right. se. you are so stupid. That's the sentiment. <laughs> yeah.
0: What was this, guys? I thought, what, what did you think? Did you get approached to write this
3: book or was yes. it something that you kind of wanted to do? Yeah, no, they approached me to write the book. I uh, I would have never like just thought to be like, hey, I, I, my story needs, my to story needs to be told. My story needs to be told. Somebody needs to tell this. Yeah. You know, whether it's me or somebody else. Somebody come follow me around for a little bit. Right, know, right. So. Let me explain to you my life story. Right. <laughs> what did you
0: think when they told you, "Okay, we're going you're the guy. You're going we're going to write a book about you."
3: Uh, so I it was interesting because it, like I see see those kind of things as like all of this is a way to make money. Right. right. It's like a okay, like they're not uh they're thinking of like, oh, this is like a nice little timely piece that if we can get this out by WrestleMania thirty uh-huh. one, which we did not. <laughs> no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if we can get this out by WrestleMania thirty one, yeah. this will be a nice little companion piece to WrestleMania thirty one, and be like, oh, remember last year's WrestleMania, and then it would be in time with kind of this Daniel Bryan DVD release and all that kind of stuff, and it would be a way to sell a bunch of stuff to where that they can make more money, right? And you know, and like so, so that sort of thing, and it, like. I'm sure in their minds they're thinking, oh, it's a neat little story. Yeah. Right? And yeah. it is. It's just like a neat little story because my my thing is not um, – it, it's just very unusual how, how – Well, it's I super got... unusual. Yeah, it's like atypical
0: very... that every single step of the way it seems like except maybe the Ring of Honor stuff. But even the Ring of Honor stuff has been kind of fan-created in all of its reaction to – like organic yeah. reaction to performance. Well, and
3: even, even my – so, I was, uh, for those of you who don't know, Ring of Honor is an independent c- company where I was the champion of for uh, for over a year and then was kind of the top guy for a while. Um, that came not because Gabe Sapolsky, the booker at the time, was like, hey, you're going to be the guy. Mm-hmm. Like, he decided I needed to be the guy because everybody else had left. <laughs> like, you know, like like CM Punk had got signed by WWE, Samoa Joe had gotten signed by TNA, Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Jamie Noble, who was wrestling under his real name, James Gibson at the time, he made him the champion, but then he got picked up back again by WWE. Yeah. And so it's like, uh, who do we have? Uh, well, Brian's still here. He's sticking around, I think. Yeah, like, <laughs> he's sticking around, yeah. <laughs>
0: So so it's been this whole kind of like either by default or I guess we have to do this. Everything yeah. is like every, every, somebody yeah. in an office going,
3: I, yeah, we have to. I what, don't know. We don't have any other choice. Yeah, like I'd really like to use somebody better, Yeah, but, but we don't have anybody better. So here's Brian. <laughs> it's, and, it's, and it's interesting, too, because
0: that mentality is so – you talk about in the book about not having a top guy mentality. Yeah. But like most people come in and go, well, I'm the guy uh-huh. and I'm better than everybody else. So that's why I'm on top. But even like when you're when you're telling the story – about the WrestleMania match, the first WrestleMania match with Sheamus, you're going, yeah, as it turns out, he should have wrestled Rey Mysterio because we were on the pre-show. Yeah, like yeah.
3: he's <laughs> well, so true. aware yeah, yeah, of like, yeah.
0: what's going on. Like, Sheamus, I don't think this is a good idea. Yeah, You should not pick me. Yeah, yeah. What is it with Sheamus and
3: WrestleMania matches? Do, uh, they, do you know what? Uh, so uh, when they, for WrestleMania 30... When yeah. they told me that they uh, like Vince pulled me into his office and he was like, "I want you to wrestle Sheamus." Yeah, like, like and
0: WrestleMania 30 is the WrestleMania that you ended up ended up main eventing, main eventing and yes, winning the yeah. world title. Yeah,
3: and uh, like at the time, I was very popular, right? Yes, like, to me, like at worst, like third most popular guy on the the show. Uh, but I sometimes depending on the building, more popular. But um, it, it was just strange because. Like, I was thinking, like, okay, I've had a really good year. What am I going to do for WrestleMania? And uh, I was really hoping for, like, Shawn Michaels or for Triple H. Yeah. And so when Vince pulled me into his office, I'd like to talk to you about your WrestleMania match. I was like, ooh, what's this going to be? I'd like you to wrestle. Dun, dun, dun. Sheamus, and I have to explain this by saying I love wrestling Sheamus as we just we just talked about right, that, but the, we had so we've already had two bad WrestleMania moments together right as far as like and not because we did bad, but they were just bad circumstances. Right, the which, first one was the pre-show, the pre-show, and then the second one was the eighteen-second match, the eighteen-second match, and then uh, and then yeah, and then I was like, Do you know what, I the the last thing the WrestleMania crowd wants to see. Right. Is me and Sheamus. Right. <laughs> so, they know what happens yeah. when Sheamus and I go to WrestleMania. Right, yeah, yeah. So, Was that ever
0: – what were the plans for WrestleMania 31 this year when you ended up in the Intercontinental Ladder match? Because after, you know, they kind of had another Royal Rumble debacle somewhat with, with things not going exactly how I would assume they thought it was going to go with another kind of baby face that got booed in the main event. Um was there a thought of you wrestling Sheamus again? Yes, there, there was. was. Yes, there was. There was. Yes, this, yes, this year yes. it was going to yeah, be yeah, Daniel yeah, Bryan yeah, and Sheamus. They,
3: yeah, and I don't know what the. Fa- I think you know at some point it becomes like a rib on me. That's yeah, and, like, and, and not a rib on me, but also a rib on Sheamus as far right. as, as like we're gonna. But and and this is the thing. I would love to wrestle Sheamus at WrestleMania and have like a real a real good match if if both of us are at like if there's a good story to it and that right. sort of, and that sort of thing. But um. You know it's hard because now when you look at WrestleManias, there's so there's already so many guys on them without talking about the guys who are full time guys. Right. right yeah. Right, so right, right. okay, there's an Undertaker match, there's a Brock Lesnar match, there's a Triple H match. Uh, there's gonna be you know so and so's coming back, so and so's coming back. Well then, for the full time guys, how know, much time is there really? Yeah. And so yeah. Uh, so then you're already looking at it and be like, and you're like, well, if I'm wrestling, this is what I was thinking at WrestleMania 30. If I'm wrestling Sheamus. That already puts me at like the fifth or sixth spot from the top. Right. No know? titles are on the line, yeah, and, and it, you know, and so, uh, and so you know that. Uh like, Sheamus is is really good, and I'd love to get that spot with him at WrestleMania because we're, we are, we like each other, and we also have this history together that's interesting. Yeah. You know, but I don't know if it's a history that the fans want to see repeated. <laughs> no, so. It just left a bad taste. And yeah. it's
0: kind of one of those things where it's like, okay, I can watch a Daniel Bryan-Sheamus SmackDown match because you're going to get time,
3: yeah, and you're going to, like you said, or you're going to yeah, or, knock or the any, crap out of each other. Any other any other pay-per-view. Right, yeah. right. You know, any other pay-per-view. Fans would be very accepting of me versus Sheamus because it would be a very good match. Yeah, but I think the mentality, especially of those fans who come to WrestleMania every year, is like, no, we don't, we don't this want this.
0: Can't <laughs> happen. Uh, you were talking about making money. At what point did you become at all money conscious? Because um, you, you were talking like. In the beginning, when you were wrestling for the independent group Ring of Honor, Mm -hmm. you described you said you were you were described as a starving artist, and that's where you wanted to be. And like it it didn't seem like it was about money, and not that it's about money now, but you know, throughout the book, as you start making money, you start becoming more like conscious of saving money.
3: Yes. So uh, no, what essentially happened is I got to this point in 2009 Mm -hmm. where it was just like. It was at the end of 2008, and i had had some injuries. I had detached my retina and, and some other stuff. And I was just like, um, this is no longer sustainable, what I'm doing to myself. Right. For the little money that I'm making. It's not like... Uh, and so I kind of took 2009 as my year. I was like, okay, I'm going to try to get to WWE uh, because that's the place where I could make enough money to where when I'm done doing this, I could actually not have to work right? because here's the big here's why i even care about money because brie and i don't live a very big lifestyle is that i have no job skills (laughs) right i've been doing this i've been doing this since i was 18 years old yeah right like i Like, the other jobs that I had, I worked at KB Toys, and I worked at a uh, video store slash tanning salon. Which
0: is the best name. Right,
3: Video Tonight Tan Today, yes. And so, uh, you know, uh, like, I bailed hay, you know, and as much as I enjoyed bailing hay when I was 16 years old, that's not necessarily what I want to do when I'm... 35 or 40 right right, you know and so
0: and you can't go into a video store and have people be
3: like didn't you used to be daniel bryan right yeah and so uh you know so then i just became conscious of saving money and now like it's not like now i'm back to not worrying about money because it's like because
0: you saved enough
3: yeah well and i mean like if enough is uh, dependent on the person Right Like right. if Steve Austin Looked at how much money I had He'd be like That's that's not enough <laughs> Right <Brian. laughs> Clearly this is not enough money Like uh, You know Vince McMahon or, or Triple H Or you know Any of those John Cena Randy Orton Any of those guys Would be like No Brian You don't understand That's, that's not enough money And I'm like No You don't understand I don't need very much money. <laughs> right, right.
0: We'll get back to our stroll down memory lane with Daniel Bryan in just a moment. But first, we all know there's millions of live event tickets out there. Sports and music, comedy, Broadway, whatever you want to see, they're out there. And I bet you didn't know, or maybe you did if you listened to this show enough, that they're all in one place. And that one place is SeatGeek, the spot that has all of the tickets that you're looking for. at even rates each ticket on a scale of one to 10, then displays them on an interactive seat map. The green dots mean good deals, the red dots are overpriced, but you know what? Sometimes, if you wanna sit in the front row, it's gonna be a red dot. Is it worth it to you? It's up to you to decide, thanks to the SeatGeek app. It is so easy to find. I have it on my phone, I tested it out, because I'm not gonna sit here and tell you to use some app that I haven't used myself. You go in, you can look up by your location, you can look up by event name, you could follow the WWE everywhere they're going on tour. and every building that they're going into, there's going to be a seat map on SeatGeek. It's going to tell you exactly where the tickets are that are available. It's going to tell you the deals that you're getting on them. As I said, is it green? Is it red? You pick and you go on there and you get the best value tickets to whatever event it is that you want to go to. That way you can stop searching for the perfect seat and you can just start enjoying it. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop with confidence. Look, I'm not surprised that SeatGeek at this point has over 50,000 five-star reviews. It's incredible, and if that wasn't enough to sell you on SeatGeek, if it's not enough that they are one of the most loyal sponsors to this show in the history of Not Sam Wrestling, how about I also give you $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase? Yes, 10 bucks off your first SeatGeek purchase. All you need to do is use our promo code. Download the SeatGeek app today and use promo code SAM, S-A-M, for $10 off your first purchase. That's promo code SAM, S-A-M, for $10 off your first purchase. Let's jump back into that time machine and get back to Mr. Daniel Bryan. Are you still looking at buying, like, a micro house?
3: Why would I buy one when I could build one? You're myself? gonna sell, of course. <laughs> that was a dumb question. Right, yeah. <laughs> so
0: you're gonna like that? Is that the plan? To like once you're you're gonna wrestle until you can't wrestle anymore physically? Is that
3: right? Uh, no. So w- this is the issue. So I don't know if you've been following if you're up on your total divas, but Bree <laughs> really wants to have a baby. Okay. And so um, I think when their contracts are up, I think. Uh, I know Nikki still wants to, to keep wrestling. Bree would like to, but she's, she's ready. You know right. what I mean? She's ready to have a baby, and I'm also ready to be a father, You know, like as far as things that are important in my life and that sort of thing. Um, the, the battle has been with this the, between the two of us is not whether we want to have babies now. Mm-hmm. It's whether or not like there's this struggle of whether or not I would want to be on the road while having a child. You know, so yeah. like, uh, I talk in the book a little bit about Ted DiBiase Jr. Right, right, right. right. I, I love Teddy. Like, he's such a, a wonderful human being. But one of the things that happened with Teddy is he had a he had a baby, mm-hmm. right? And then he he kept wrestling, and you could just see him get more and more miserable, like just missing his son. And I I feel like because right, all- now now you have to deal with bullshit, and
0: there's something at home. It's and- one thing to deal with all this stuff. And it's just like, okay, this is just what I do. Yeah. But when you know you've got a a, a family at home that you could just like, I could just be hanging out with my son.
3: Yeah, and like, and just you know, and just that that when you when you have a very strong family bond and family is very important to you, that idea of having to leave leave your your son or daughter or, or anything who's that small and missing all these like little important things, you know. And so like, I don't know how long it was after he had had his son where he was just like, you know this isn't worth it anymore to be. and mm-hmm. that's to me like i have a huge amount of respect for that you know and so like but we also you also have to understand we have a great number of dads on our on our roster and like kofi kingston you always see him like you know uh i don't think it's skyping what is it it's facetime facetime yeah face, facetime facetiming face was his, with uh with his kid and like you know and so we ha- we do have good dads and th- like nowadays it's much easier to keep in contact with your kids than it is but i i also feel like i don't i don't want to miss stuff so right. that all of that to say um i the timing of when we would have a child is has been the argument as far as like because Bree now being uh she's 31 you know she'll be 32 this year and she's always said in her head that she wants to have her first baby when she's 32 or 33 and so then it because you know with women it's just like it's this it, thing it, that it, they've created yeah, like, yeah. It, time is not it, it's this weird thing like your age is not the number of years that you are there you actually have like a biological age depending on how you've lived your life and how healthy you are right like, that's why some people live to be 100 and some people live to be uh not 100 right <laughs> you know and yeah. so um and so anyways like i like so i was like oh i don't really but i feel like if i can keep wrestling for after we have our first baby i probably should uh-huh. uh and in the in the deal is is that i'm passionate about wrestling i love wrestling like even being away from wrestling i i think in terms of wrestling i'm out gardening and i'm like okay like i come up with these ideas and i'm like i need to do this the problem is is now i'm not wrestling like every time in my life that i've like think in wrestling and think in terms yeah. of these and I'm I'm coming up with ideas and all that kind of stuff within a couple of days I can go out there and try it and yeah. now I just backlogged with just ideas so what do you do do you just write them down yes bit? I do so write you have them like down. a little notebook of, I, yeah, of, of I have stuff a, that you want to do yeah and Bree gets upset with me for having so many notebooks but I have like Notebooks, to me, this is like, this is how I express my creativity, is wrestling and that sort of thing. And so, like, oh, there's different things that I want to do and that sort of thing. And so, um,
0: but it's bizarre at the point, and that's something you get from the book is really figuring out how many times you've had something dangled in front of you, then taken away, or how many times you've come up with an idea that hasn't passed, like that you still have some kind of motivation or passion to do well is like crazy. Even the story about you, like, getting this cool ring jacket. And then you get to the ring. Like, I don't understand how you can perform when you get to the ring and a referee is yelling at you to take your jacket off because they're yelling in the back <laughs> that Vince doesn't like the jacket you're wearing. You're,
3: oh, man. I'm- <laughs> oh, man. I love this, I like ja- this jacket. I thought <laughs> I looked cool. How am I supposed to uh, wrestle if I, yeah. if I don't look cool in my jacket? I'd be you so know, bummed yeah, out. Right. I mean, take off my jacket. Yeah. Everybody loves my jacket. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, you know what? Uh, like, I don't know. I guess I'm just not bothered by much. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you, just, you
0: just make the best. It's like, okay, we're gonna have you wrestle Charlie Sheen uh-huh. at this pay per view, and you're like, okay, cool, Charlie Sheen. And then it's like, okay, that's not happening. Uh-huh. You're like, instead of being like bummed out about it, you're like, ah, uh, all right. Well, then who am I wrestling? What? And then you just move forward.
3: Well, no, the big thing, the reason why I, made, I would, would have been bummed out about the Charlie Sheen thing is that it, uh. Is if I wasn't on the show at all, right, because I had gotten to this point where I was doing title matches with Punk, so this was after the 18 second deal with Sheamus, where like all of a sudden, like fans were really getting behind me, be- they had this true sympathy for me, but I was supposed to be a bad guy, <laughs> yeah. So it's like people were like really cheering for me, but like who there was only one guy really on the wrestler uh, on the roster that I could wrestle as a bad guy and he would get cheered, and that was Punk, right? And they already did that, and so <laughs> so then it's like, okay, well, if I don't wrestle Charlie Sheen. Which I think would have been an amazing crowd reaction. They would have booed him out of the building. Yes. <laughs> like he's supposed yes. to be the big good guy. <laughs> but anyways, it, I was just happy that, or I was worried that, like, without Charlie Sheen, who am I gonna wrestle? Yeah, at, at Summerslam, I'll just be, I just won't be on the show. I
0: guess that's the point. And you, even from the point you come in, when you're like, every time from the very beginning, like you get hot. On the NXT reality show, and then you end up getting fired like that. It yeah. seemed like in the book, the first time you got fired, because obviously people know by now, well, wrestling fans know, that you ended up in this kind of a uh, 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 segment that was, like, super, super hot, and everybody was into it, and it was, like, finally something that people were actually talking about the next day, which doesn't happen all that often mm-hmm. anymore in WWE, and then... You end up getting fired because you choked a guy with his tie.
3: And spit in John Cena's face. And spit in John Cena's face, credit where credit's due. Yeah. (laughs) Without
0: realizing that those are completely against the rules. When that happened, the wrestling fans were like, this is outrageous. Like, this can't be real. This has to be storyline. They can't be firing him. But in the book, you were kind of like, okay, but then I'll go back to the indies. Like, it didn't seem like it was that earth-shattering to you when you got fired
3: yeah so realistically when I first came to WWE I was kind of expecting bad things to happen
0: yeah maybe yeah. that's and that seems like that's kind of the story throughout where so when bad things do happen you're like oh okay that's that's kind of what was supposed the, the, to yeah, happen the, yeah. The, the,
3: yeah so you know and it's funny because I'm I'm uh generally a very optimistic person right you <laughs> yeah. know as far as like, well you do it all with a smile on your yeah, face. yeah well, well do you know what because and I guess this is the thing it's not important uh-huh. Right? You know, like... I guess. Okay. It, when, and one of the things was, is that on NXT, when I was on the, the NXT deal, I was making less money than I was when I was on the independence. Right. And so... It became this thing was like that's the reason why I came to WWE is because hey I need to save up money for retirement because otherwise I you know I need to find something else to do
0: because it wasn't like you were doing 40 minute amazing matches you're doing right. soda drinking contests yeah, yeah. and yeah. making less yeah, money yeah
3: yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> and like you know we're, we're doing these monkey bars things and there was one one of the things I, I had to do was a we had to do a monkey bars thing uh-huh. and but the night before Batista had power bombed me three times on raw so they're <laughs> like this is a real competition we need you we want you to really do your best but you also really need to sell the damage from those power bombs and we're taping up your ribs so you need to like struggle through these monkey bars and i was like wait a second wh- what are you that doesn't make any sense yeah. you know and then you know like going up and drinking soda and i don't i don't drink soda right so it's like me it, it was literally the worst tv ever i, I was like, watching it it's, it's, it's me like i can only do like a gulp at a time or so because of the carbonation and i'm just like what are they doing? (laughs) So so, yeah, so yeah, all that to say that when, you know, when Vince calls me to tell me that he's, he's fired me, I was like, wow, the, the first thing that went through my head is that um, this was a big deal. Mm -hmm. People are going to be upset about this. Mm -hmm. Like the hardcore independent fans, at least I didn't think it was going to be, they were going to be as upset as people were. Uh, But then from here, I'll be able to make, at least for the next year or two, I'll be able to go to Japan. I'll be able to do all this kind of stuff, stuff that I was doing, but get more, like get paid more from it. And, and you then, figured it was
0: it was legit over.
3: Uh, I didn't think it was over. I So uh, when I talked to, like, I thought, they'll bring me back at some point.
0: But not anytime soon.
3: But not anytime soon. I thought it would be a year or two. Okay. You know what I mean? And, uh, and actually, in my mind, I was thinking, like, well, this gives me an opportunity to... Uh, make more money on the independence like just the demand will be more. But then I can also one of my deals was if I didn't get signed by WWE in two thousand nine, I was gonna start going back to school. Let right. I'd wrestle on the weekends. Mm-hmm. But start going back to college and start preparing for this life after wrestling. Learn start, a job skill. Uh, yeah, learn yeah. a job skill. <laughs> yes. Build tiny homes. Right, right. right. And so um So yeah, so and that was just kind of my plan there. Except now it's going to be a whole lot easier because now getting bookings is not going to be a problem whatsoever. Right. So, uh, so yeah, that was kind of my thinking, and I wasn't I wasn't really worried about it. I thought this is awesome and this is cool, and like you go from this. uh, It was kind of a stifling environment at the time to being able to go and I'd wrestle it for Dragon Gate USA, which is you know Gabe Sapolsky's uh, deal at the time, and being able to have like these thirty minute matches that I really enjoyed in front of. You know, in a very intimate setting, which is, I also enjoy.
0: So. Yeah. So when they when you get the call back, like a couple months later, were you ready to go back? Was that an exciting thing, or were you kind of like, well, I mean, I have to go back, but I'm I'm kind of enjoying this part of my indie career.
3: <sighs> yeah. So it was it was like a a bittersweet type thing, but there was also this idea because they were bringing me back in the main event of SummerSlam. Right. There was also this optimism that like, hey. They're bringing me back in the main event of SummerSlam. Right, this could be because being a uh more of a top guy in WWE is great. It literally is. Like for example, like uh on all the live wrestling, the live events, and I I, I tried to describe this in the book, and I don't know if it came across wrestling the live events, the untelevised live events in right. WWE is so much fun. Mm-hmm. Right, you can you can literally go out there and do whatever you want, and it's in front of a big arena, and like you know, it's like. During the times when I was barely doing anything on TV, and you you think you get really frustrated with that, the live events were the things that like mentally kept me sane. Right, it was so much fun going out there, and uh, but being you know one of the one of the top guys, you go out there and you get to do like these 10, 15 minute TV matches and all that kind of stuff, and and pay per view matches. At the time, it was it wasn't like it was now where you have a three hour RAW, so you see multiple ten to fifteen minute matches you know every week. Uh, but the top guys would get those. 15, 20, 25 minute pay-per-view matches every month. And I thought, yeah. man, if I'm if I'm uh, main eventing SummerSlam, surely I'm just not gonna <laughs> yeah,
0: let the good times yeah. roll. Yeah. Like, yeah. this is just gonna keep going yeah. from here. Yeah.
3: We started a seven-man
0: tag and right. then we're gonna keep going. One right. e- yeah. and then you and then you get there and you're like, wait, wait, wait. I gotta get back to that old mentality. Right. You know, <laughs> bad things are gonna right. happen yeah. here.
3: <laughs> but the first couple months it was okay because I wasn't expecting to be like the main event guy, but, like, I was the U.S. Uh, champion for the first couple of pay-per-views, and it was fun because I was wrestling, uh, I was getting the opportunity to wrestle 10- to 15-minute matches on pay-per-views. And right. And that was, you know, and that, that held me in good stead because that played to my strengths, you know, and then I just fell off the bat. Wait,
0: yeah. So. <laughs> you uh, you wrestled this year at WrestleMania, which is weird because I was going to ask you when you were talking about, like, the idea of the book, was really to make it part of a bigger marketing campaign around you returning to WrestleMania after how big last year's WrestleMania was. But mm-hmm. at the same time, you weren't exactly, in, I mean, you were in a big match at WrestleMania this year, but it wasn't the main event. Right. You would think that somewhere the marketing and the show would come together and...
3: No, 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 You're putting too much thought into it. Yeah. Because you're, you're, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're you're, no, why no. are you writing the book about the guy in the opening match? Right, yeah. Well, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. That's a, that's a question for somebody else. But uh, but also, I think the timing, the timing of everything with just my injury, like because of my neck injury and all that kind of stuff, like whatever plans they had, mm-hmm. you know, after WrestleMania 30, mm-hmm. all got kind of thrown out the window because of my neck surgery and all that kind of stuff. So
0: is that one of these things where you've dealt with what it is and said, at the very least, I've got that. I got that moment. Maybe I didn't have a run with it. But I got that moment at WrestleMania, and if that's the highlight, that's the highlight. Or are you, thinking?
3: No, uh, I, I don't. I don't even think in those terms. You know, uh, so WrestleMania 30 is something that happened in my life, and it's really, really cool. Yeah. Right. But it's like okay. Like, What's you, the next thing? It's not even what's the next thing. What am I doing right now? Right. You know, like right. it's like it's very present. Yeah. It, you know, and I think that's, uh, I appreciate what, what happened at WrestleMania 30 and it's super cool. And one of the super cool things about our era is that you could relive it a million times if you want to. Like I could just go on the network and watch it right this second. Yeah. Like, you know, and on my phone. Yeah. I just like, you know what? I'm feeling a little bit down. Ah, uh, there it is. Right. right? You know, right. Like, right. Uh, but you know, um, it, it's, One of the things that I really try to do is just, like, live... Because you never know what's going to happen. Like, Mm -hmm. I could could get in a car crash after this, you know, and some... But if you're always looking forward to something else or you're like, oh, you know, that was kind of my... That was my life highlight was this thing back here. Yeah. And, like, uh, I mean, that's not my deal.
0: You did seem... Like, I've interviewed you a bunch of times, obviously. You know this. But when I interviewed you right before WrestleMania this year, it was the first time you seemed kind of annoyed that... At what had happened, you seemed like, it was. I think it was like two nights before WrestleMania, and it seemed like you were a little more annoyed than usual at your placement, or the fact that, because you were talking about people not thinking you were marketable.
3: Oh, no, 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 I just know that they don't think I'm marketable. I was actually (laughs) thrilled uh, to be, one of the things that I wanted to do when I came back Uh was do something with the Intercontinental Championship and my big my big spiel, my big pitch for this thing. Like I I want to be the Intercontinental champion and I only want to be on SmackDown. I don't that yeah, really. I don't want to be on Raw. I want to be on SmackDown. Wow. Because one of my things was I would never have gotten this opportunity to be the World Heavyweight Champion if there wasn't split brands. Uh-huh. Right? If there wasn't two titles. If there was just the one main title, they would have never ever given me that opportunity but because there was two and then i I talk about it in the book as far as like with uh with mark henry being champion and stuff i i was i had the money in the bank deal and it was only mark henry getting hurt that caused me to even cash yeah Cash that in, right? I don't even know what their plans were. I, I, nobody knows. Like, right? They didn't know what. Like maybe there what, weren't any. There yeah, could have not been plans. We, yeah, well, what are we gonna do? Because we don't want Brian as champion, but he's got. We gave him this thing. <laughs> yeah. like, Why'd we, we do yeah, that? Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, you know, and it is funny. Even when it, you know, I describe in the book why they even gave me the case was just because like they wanted to give it to Wade Barrett, but it was too similar to what they were doing on the other side. Right. But, you know. So now so like, you have got this briefcase yes. that guarantees you
0: a shot at the title <laughs>
3: that you're supposed to win, but <laughs> right. they don't want to give you the title. Right. So. Yeah.
2: so Just have to carry the briefcase around (laughs) and not put him on
3: TV. (laughs) Maybe people will forget. Yeah, oh, and it was so weird carrying around that briefcase too, because like somebody like Dolph would just carry his through the airport. Right, like it's a very cumbersome thing to carry around and you can't check it because you need it at all the live events. It's part of your, it's like part now part of your, your thing. And so like, I would try to stuff it into my carry on and then put my gear inside that, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. But no,
0: um, I mean, you'd think they could just throw it on the truck with the ring and yeah. it would be there waiting for you, but <laughs> <laughs> that's again, too logical. Right. Yeah.
3: And so, uh, so, but that was my thing. And also the, um, I knew coming back from my next surgery that I was not going to be the top good guy right mm-hmm. like I, ju- I just as far as like the booking is concerned i'm not talking about popularity as far as like where placement of people and uh one of the things that really that can hurt you if people see you as that if people want you to be that and you're not that is that they can take it out on other people right like taking it out on somebody like roman when they're trying to push him and that sort of thing yes and, and roman is very very good like roman is i think all the, there was a little bit of backlash at, at Royal Rumble because he wasn't me. Yeah. But I think people are seeing now like all of his matches are really like good. Right. And when in in his promos, when he's allowed to be himself. Right. let say like suffering, sucking passion, <laughs> you know, whatever it is, yeah. you know, uh, <laughs> he's really, he's really good and he's marketable and, he, you know, all this, all this kind of stuff. And so if you put him and I on different shows, then it's, it's better for him and it's better for me, yeah. right? And so that was kind of my thing. And
0: just, like the Intercontinental Title becomes that other. It, the Intercontinental title.
3: title becomes what it was when I was a kid, where right. it was like I was every bit as excited to see the Intercontinental Title match as I was the WWE World Title match, right? right? You know, and so, uh, so yeah, that's that was kind of my goal, and also to elevate other people, right? Because like, hey, they would not right now they're not going to put Cesaro in a WWE World. Heavyweight Championship program with Seth Rollins mm-hmm. I mean they might But I don't think Probably they not, yeah. yeah, They would do that with him and me In the Intercontinental Championship And it might not be the main event of pay-per-views But if it carries SmackDown If that's the main story on SmackDown yeah, It, it can show everybody Because like, I think sometimes the WWE Doesn't think people are capable of some of this kind of stuff I don't think they thought I was capable Of carrying this that kind of stuff yeah. Until they gave me the opportunity And it turns out that I was And until you give him the opportunities, give somebody like Cesaro an opportunity to do that and show that he can do it. You know, like, that was part of my thing, too. People like Cesaro, people like Cody Rhodes, you know, people like, you know, Ryback. Give them these opportunities to carry a show, like, carry a program. And uh, it would just be good for everybody. And not only that, good for morale, I was hoping. Like, I have, like, all these greater things. I want everybody to be happy at work as opposed to, you know, (laughs) like, I want us to all, like, enjoy it and be like, hey, if I work hard and if I'm good and if I get good crowd reactions, I am going to get further. Right, so, so do you
0: like it better when there's a brand split? Like, yes, yeah.
3: I I would much rather have, there have a, a brand split, and because, we can do what we want over here on SmackDown yeah, and build like, these yeah, guys but, over here, and and so it's easy to say Cesaro because Cesaro is so like awesomely good. The yeah, people, everybody's like. Yeah, do something with Cesaro. Right? right. But I'm even talking about people like Heath Slater, and I mentioned <laughs> this with in Chris Jericho's podcast. I think Chris uh Heath Slater is outstanding. Uh-huh. Right. Like he could be our generation's honky tonk man.
1: Right? Yeah. Like he yeah, is, yeah,
3: yeah. he is just like this guy who's so entertaining and quirky in his own way. And like he he's just He's like all the stuff he did with uh, John Cena in the U.S. title. He would come out and say like John Cena is doing this U.S. Open or U.S. title uh, challenge, and and so but Heath Slater would come out every week. John Cena, I'm gonna (laughs) take that title from you. (laughs) Then get knocked off the the thing or something. He's great every time he does it. A couple Uh years ago, he was doing the thing with the the legends coming back to Raw, and (laughs) like everything he did was awesome. And like, but not. Getting an opportunity off of that to do something more substantial. Yeah. You know what I mean? To be the the hunky-talk man of this generation, yeah. you know?
0: What's it like for you? Because you're talking about all the guys in Ring of Honor kind of leaving, and that's how you got the championship. And then also later in the book, you're talking about being with CM Punk. And when you first started working with CM Punk, that was the first time it was like, oh, those are the Ring of Honor guys. To look now and realize that, like, most of the most popular guys – on WWE TV are Ring of Honor guys.
3: Uh, so Ambrose was never a Ring of Honor guy per se. He was an independent guy, right? And so, uh,
0: but you've got like Cesaro and yep. Seth and Kevin Owens and mm-hmm. like all and Sami Zayn and NXT and mm-hmm. all all these guys. That it's kind of like. Do you feel like? Where Ring of Honor, you said the idea was to take like the best of the independents and put them all in one place. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's what the goal of NXT is
3: now? No, I think what has happened is because there's so much programming and mm-hmm. like uh, the you have to look at the str- the struggles that our generation of wrestlers face. You mm-hmm. know, uh, uh, as opposed to other generations of wrestlers, one of the things that we have to deal with more than any other generation is overexposure. Uh, as far as like we have a three hour RAW in a two hour SmackDown every week on top of that multiple pay-per-views, you know, every, every year. And so, um, the guys who cope with overexposure, the best are the people who are used to going out there and doing 12 to 15 minute matches or longer on the independence and right. have, and have this thing where it's like, okay, well, uh, I have experience doing this for a long time. So like, Hey, throw as much TV time at me as you want. There was, there was one week of, between Raw and SmackDown, where Roman and I were on 12 segments of television. That's more than a two-hour show, right? And so you have to be able to go out there and deal with this, this overexposure. And the people who are best suited for that are are the the independent wrestlers, right? Mm -hmm. Because they they know how to vary things up. They know how to change things like, okay, I'm not going to do the same thing, you know, every week, every, you know, every match, all that kind of stuff. We, you know, they're used to being like, hey, the hardcore fan base that are the independent fan base, they don't want to see like a best of collection every match. Right. They want they need something different New. and they they need some they need your character to evolve and they need your wrestling to evolve and all that kind of stuff. So, um that's why I think that those guys are very successful now is because it's like okay, okay Kevin Owens, you have to go out there and do a 10 minute interview but then you also have to come back later in the night and do uh, a 15 minute match and then tomorrow on Smackdown you also have to do another 12 to 15 minute match and keep it fresh uh, yeah and like with with Hulk Hogan and all that kind of stuff w- one of the reasons why Hulk Hogan was so big is because you didn't get to see him that much right right you know, right, like, right right uh, the old style of wrestling promoting and that's one of the things Vince even said with his on his podcast about Brock Lesnar we have to keep him special because even if you do that with Brock, Brock is this amazing character and that sort of stuff. But you have to be careful with Brock about overexposure, right? Totally. You can't let him, you don't want him without Paul Heyman to go out there and talk for 12 to 15 minutes. <laughs> right, And right. then go and do a 12 to 15 minute match and then do another 12 to 15 minute match the next day because then Or do
0: like 12 suplexes a match yeah, every, every night. every, every
3: night. Yeah, it just be, no longer becomes special.
0: Well, everybody go pick up the book. It's called Yes, My Improbable Journey to the Main Event of WrestleMania. And it's it's it starts from the beginning. It goes through everything. It's really uh, it's an awesome story. And uh, Daniel Bryan, thanks for hanging
3: out, man. Yeah, here I am. Ta-da! <laughs>
0: <laughs> thanks, man. Yep. Here is Sam Roberts. How great was that? A stroll down memory lane with Daniel Bryan. Uh, I just think you know when when I look back on on the archives of not Sam wrestling and and just look back. I mean, as I was going through. And I was figuring out, okay, who do we want to hear from this week on Not Sam Wrestling? And just getting to look at all the conversations that this podcast has led me to, with all the different superstars that I've spoken to, it's pretty mind-blowing. It's insane that it's even happened to begin with, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm super fortunate to have been able to have that and many other conversations with Daniel Bryan over the course of the last few years. And... Watching him compete at this level. Now, he's in the pre-show match at Money in the Bank. It's the tag title match. SmackDown tag titles on the line. Daniel Bryan and Eric Rowan versus the Usos. You know, Daniel Bryan has this amazing way of figuring out how to shine in just about any situation. Keep in mind, the incident that really began the first push for Daniel Bryan, to me... The Yes movement that culminated with the title win at WrestleMania 30 really began with his WrestleMania loss to Sheamus. I believe that was at WrestleMania 28. I think that that was two years, unless it was more. I believe that that was two years before WrestleMania 30. And it was the match that lasted, you know, whatever it was, 11, 12 seconds. It was one broke, a kiss from AJ Lee... One brogue kick, and Daniel Bryan is pinned and loses the world title. Now, he's supposed to be the villain, Sheamus the hero. Sheamus beats him within seconds, and that's it. That's your match right there. And it was two days later, or at that point, I guess SmackDown was on Friday, but it was a matter of days later. It was the SmackDown after WrestleMania that fans started reacting. That fans started reacting when Daniel Bryan came out because we... Wanted to see this guy have a WrestleMania match. And it wasn't even about sort of the, the sympathetic nature of it. It wasn't because we felt bad because Daniel Bryan deserved a title match. I never liked that language. I never liked the idea that we're sitting there going, we want to see this happen because this person deserves it. It's not true. Like there's no deserve. Oh, because this person has been there so long, they should be in a in a in a big match at this pay-per-view. No. It's not about time served in WWE or anywhere in the world of professional wrestling. It's not about, wow, you deserve this because, you know, you always have solid matches and uh, and, and you've been here longer than other people. So you deserve to be in a spot where you can shine. I don't buy that at all. The people that I want to see, follow me on this. This is going to be wild. The people that I want to see showcased in Prime real estate matches are the people that I want to see showcased in prime real estate matches. The people that I want to see win are the people that I want to see win. At WrestleMania 35, a few weeks ago, a month and a half ago, whatever it was, six weeks ago or so, the reason that Kofi Kingston was the right guy to win the WWE Championship from Daniel Bryan is because me... And the other fans in the building at MetLife Stadium and the fans that were watching that show at home, we wanted to see Kofi Kingston win. And it wasn't because uh, he deserves it. And it wasn't because, well, he's been here for 11 years. That was part of the story It built some sympathy. It created some intrigue. But at the end of the day, the reason we wanted him to win was because he's the guy that we wanted to win. The reason that we wanted to see Daniel Bryan in a match that was longer than 11 seconds is because we like seeing Daniel Bryan wrestle. We want to tune into Wrestlemania and see Daniel Bryan have a great match. Not because Daniel Bryan deserves to have a great match, but because we deserve to see a great match. Because we as fans want the best quality product that we can get. And at that time, it was seeing Daniel Bryan in a nice, lengthy match at WrestleMania. And I, I think that that's the strength that Daniel Bryan has always built on, that he is always delivered in every spot that he's in, and it makes it so fans, whether they're cheering or booing him, are happy to see him in a spot that commands the most attention because we want to give him that attention. And... You know, I was uh, there's all kinds of theories about why this match is on the pre-show. Some of it is because uh, I, I think some people are reporting. I don't remember. I don't want to credit anybody because I don't remember who said it. But it was said. Well, maybe they didn't know if Daniel Bryan was going to be even, you know, wrestling at this pay-per-view. Which you know, I don't. I don't necessarily know if that's the case because matches get changed the day of the pay-per-view sometimes. But uh, whatever the reason is. I think that we saw it in the match that Daniel Bryan and Eric Rowan had with the Usos last week on SmackDown and in the promo that they cut for YouTube that I was talking with uh, Wade Keller about on the podcast last week, which you should still look up because I buy in to everything Daniel Bryan and Eric Rowan are selling right now. To me, the Usos, as I've said it a million times, are the best tag team of the last decade. But if they're going to be sitting around singing their way to the ring, pulling pranks with Uzi Hot and cell phone cameras, then they can concentrate on that. And Eric Rowan and Daniel Bryan can concentrate on making the tag team division in the WWE the must-see division in the WWE. And that is something that I think we're going to see at Money in the Bank. And we're going to see a tag match on the pre-show of Money in the Bank that makes it so the WWE has no choice but to give in to the demand of the fans that say, no, Eric Rowan and Daniel Bryan should be defending the SmackDown Tag Team Championships deep, deep onto the main card, because those are the guys that I'm buying tickets to see right now. And I think it's going to happen. I think it'll happen at Money in the Bank. Let's get into State of Wrestling. So much to talk about this week There's a lot of meat on this bone, folks, and we're going to chew it right now.
2: It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. Yeah, it is State of Wrestling
0: time for Not Sam Wrestling number two hundred. And 38, all right, guys, here we go. So much going on. I think, of course, the state of wrestling, I mean, I know, you know, the state of wrestling is where we count down the top five stories in the world of professional wrestling, according to yours truly, The Last Professional Broadcaster, Sam Roberts. And I think that the only place to start this week is with the legend, Tom McGee. Now, WWE shocked the world by announcing on Friday... That following Monday Night Raw, they would air the Tom McGee match that everybody thought was lost forever. Okay, so here's a little backstory. Uh, Tom McGee, of course, for those of you that haven't watched the documentary, I would certainly watch the documentary. What they did was they packaged into like uh, 28 minutes or so, they have a 20-minute documentary explaining the entire story of why this match has become what it has become. They talk to yours truly. They talk to Cassius Ono. They talk to X-Pac. They talk to Bret the Hitman Hart. They talk to Tom McGee himself. They talk to uh, TJ Wilson. And they talk to Davey Boy Smith Jr. And together, everybody uh, uh, forms this story and explains why this match is what it is. Uh, uh, To make a long story short, Tom McGee was this big, muscular, agile, good-looking Canadian who showed up into the WWE in the late 80s. He did a little bit, I believe, with Stampede Wrestling. He was in Calgary, and he shows up. Vince McMahon gets a look at him. He goes, oh, my God, look at this guy. He puts him in the ring at a TV taping with Bret the Hitman Hart. Again, this is the late 80s, so this is a different Bret Hart. This is a Bret Hart who hasn't even found his—well, he hasn't even formed his foundation— pardon the pun, with Jim the Anvil Nightheart. He is still uh, this guy who, who. okay, we're going to see how Bret Hart is going to pan out too, but Bret Hart is in the ring with Tom McGee. This match was never televised. It was just at this TV taping to kind of get a look at who Tom McGee was. These two have this match, and it ends up being, I mean, Tom McGee, if you watch this thing, Tom McGee does a lot that was way ahead of its time. For a guy who's about 6'5", who looks like he's carved out of granite, just massive, looking like Samson with flowing, curly, long hair. Not like mine, like pretty. And he has this great match with Bret the Hitman Hart, and it leaves Vince McMahon saying, this is it. This is the guy we've been looking for. This is the next Hulk Hogan, which is shocking for me to hear as a fan, because who knew in the late 80s that WWE was even thinking about a world without Hulk Hogan. But apparently, Vince McMahon is like a Boy Scout. Always be prepared. Uh, What they didn't realize at the time was that Bret Hart was the one that had carried Tom McGee through this excellent match. And it became evident in the future matches of Tom McGee. He had matches with uh, Ted DiBiase, with Arn Anderson, uh, and a bunch of other guys that were dark matches at TV tapings that were on uh, live events throughout the country. And they realized that Tom McGee, uh, he had no, uh, he, he lacked the 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 basic skill of professional wrestling. He just never learned it, so he didn't he didn't have. I don't want to use the word foundation again, but he didn't have that baseline of wrestling. He didn't have a ton of charisma. He didn't know how to uh, interact with the crowd. This is the type of thing that when you watch, when you watch Tom McGee, Tom McGee. If he were coming into the WWE now, first of all, it'd be a little bit different because he wouldn't be so far ahead of his time now. He was ahead of his time for then. But even coming into the WWE now, in 2019, somebody that looks like him that could do the flips that he could do. He was doing moonsaults and whatnot, backflips in 1987. You know, somebody that looks like him doing that, they would place a value on that. Tom McGee is a guy who in 2019 would probably spend four years, if not more, in the Performance Center. There was no Performance Center at this time, obviously. But I think that he might have gotten a little bit more of a shake in the WWE in the future, had the Performance Center, had the uh, NXT system, had that all been in place back then, maybe Tom McGee would have found something. But my theory has always been that... The WWE kind of fell out of love with Tom McGee when they realized that he did not connect with the audience. As much as he had this basic skill set, when you watch the match, you can see Bret Hart is moving his body, is guiding Tom McGee into all the spots that Tom needs to be in. And Tom, there are moments when he's a little bit like a guy lost in a field somewhere in the ring. And that's not because he's not good. That's because he hasn't learned how to operate in that arena yet. And I mean arena, figuratively, of course. Uh, and so Tom McGee ends up not panning out. He sticks around WWE for another two years or so, doing matches. He goes from Tom McGee to Mega Man McGee, and uh, but by the end, he just he never ends up on TV. He he goes from being the guy who's going to replace Hulk Hogan to never being on TV. I think in 2019, he ends up at least getting to learn the basics at a place like the Performance Center. But in 1987, they just didn't have the patience. And I think, you know, when the Ultimate Warrior shows up, and while granted, he doesn't have the the most wrestling skill in the world, he does have that charisma. He does have that thing that connects with the audience instantly. He does have that thing where everybody wants to look at him. All of a sudden, this is the guy that the WWE starts to focus on. That has always been my theory behind Tom McGee. Um, but... You know, I, I, the reason this match, people had always heard about it. You know, and I've heard about it for years. I think Bret Hart mentioned it in his book. There's a great podcast that Colt Cabana and Dave Meltzer did together about it. There's there's all this material out of it, but I I don't remember. I mean, it was years ago, but I don't remember the first time I heard about this match. But as I said in the Tom McGee documentary, I was a tape trader in high school. <laughs> Regardless of what you'll hear, a pretty I had a lot a, a pretty major. Tape trader. I'm not gonna say I was, you know, this top of the heap guy, but I had thousands of tapes. You know, I had I had everything that I know of, and this wasn't something that I had. I don't even know if I knew about it when I was in high school tape trading. Um, but it's one of those things that you start to read about, and then there's other Tom McGee matches out there. You can see the Ted DiBiase match and the Aaron Anderson match. If you go on YouTube, you can find these matches. But the Bret Hart match. Never surfaced until, uh, I don't know, six weeks ago, two months ago. Um, this uh, 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 Mary Kay Fabe shows up on Twitter. Years ago, Bret Hart had sent her a, a giant box of VHS tapes and said, can you digitize these for me? And when you're done, go ahead and hold on to the tapes. And so she did. And I guess she was just looking through her box one day. And she found this tape was there. The tape was mislabeled. The name was spelled wrong. The date was wrong. But she put it in, and it was the match. It was the match that I think is equal parts. I want to see what Vince saw, meaning I want to watch this match because I want to see how Vince saw the future of the WWE should Hulk Hogan not be there. Who did he, I want to see this performance that led him to believe we can turn this guy into the next champion during the Hulk Hogan era. I also want to see Bret Hart being the excellence of execution before Bret Hart was known as the excellence of execution. I want to see Bret Hart lead this guy through a match before any of us knew exactly how good Bret Hart was. The match has appeals on multiple levels. So the WWE got uh, a hold of the tape. They digitized it. They added it. And and again, I mean, I always figured that the WWE must just have it buried somewhere in their video library. Because they have absolutely everything. But somehow they didn't. The the match, the tape of the match that is on the WWE network now is the videotape that was found by Mary Kayfabe. That's... That's it. That's the copy of the match that's available. And what's amazing is the tape's good quality. It's shot like it's shot for TV. Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan are doing commentary over it. it's it's amazing. But I, I completely recommend uh, the doc. and John Carlo, uh, who works for WWE as a video editor, uh, just he does an amazing, amazing job telling this story. And I'm so glad that he was the one to do it because he's got such a passion for this stuff. Uh, and you can tell that when you watch, when you watch the documentary. But uh, you know, there's a couple of controversial things surrounding this thing. First of all, as soon as WWE announced it, uh, uh, Starcast came up because Conrad, the Podfather, I guess, Conrad Thompson, he uh, is is doing a, a, a Tom McGee uh, screening and event at Starcast. I think that they're screening the match. I don't know for sure. I know that there was some debate over that on Twitter. Uh, they may or may not be screening the match. I think that they are, but I don't know for sure. And they've got Tom McGee and Bret Hart showing up at StarCast to talk about this thing face to face. And this was to be, you know, kind of the first Tom McGee related event. But the WWE network got it on just in the nick of time before StarCast, and people were saying, well, come on. Come on. WWE, you're just doing this because of StarCast. I'll tell you. First of all, in my opinion, um I love that Conrad is putting together uh, events like this that people have the opportunity to go sit live and see Bret Hart and Tom McGee talk about this. Uh, you know, I don't think that anything that the WWE does on the WWE network is going to take away from that live experience. But this is the WWE's property. At the end of the day, whether it's the reporters who furthered the story, whether it's Dave Meltzer, whether it's uh, whether it's Bix over at De- uh, Deadspin, who wrote a great article about this whole thing, whether it's Mike Johnson, PW Insider, Wade Keller, whether it's Colt Cabana on his podcast talking about it, whether it's Conrad, who's uh, putting this whole thing together. At the end of the day, this is WWE's story to tell. This is something that happened in a WWE ring. And it's WWE's right to put the match on display for everybody. I happen to know that as soon as the tape became available, the WWE started working on getting it. You know, this, this document, and you watch the documentary. This thing didn't happen overnight. I, um, several weeks ago, if not more, I was at raw in Montreal and John Carlo came up to me, WWE video editor. And he said, uh, He's like, hey man, you know anything about Tom McGee? And I was like, oh my God, I'm obsessed with the Tom McGee story. Can you believe they found that tape? And he was like, you're obsessed? I was like, I've been obsessed with the Tom McGee story for a long time. And he uh, he was like, you want to talk about it? I'm doing a thing. I was like, yeah, I want to talk about it. What? Yes. Come up to Sirius. Let's talk about it. So he came up to Sirius and he just kind of asked me some baseline questions. He said, tell me the story about Tom McGee. So I told him the story as I knew it, as I'd heard it uh, over the years. And that's kind of how it happened. But this was also over the course of weeks and weeks and weeks. You know, I, I don't think that the WWE was uh, targeting StarCast. But I, I do think that the WWE putting this out on the, on the network now only builds hype to any... Tom McGee-related event that's coming up in the near future. You know, I think that the reason the documentary is attached to the match is because WWE wanted to uh, uh, let their audience that maybe doesn't know this story know um, what happened. You know, let them know why this is so significant. So I think there's actually a lot more people today that know the significance of this thing because of what the WWE did than there were a week ago, for example. So I think that that actually only helps, and I love that uh, there are people out there that are going to continue to further this story and further this story and further this story. I'll never be done talking about it. Um, So there was that, and then also, it raised some controversy on Twitter. Uh, You know, I I heard a clip, Dave Meltzer, on uh, Wrestling Observer Radio. He said uh, that... uh, Uh, Cassius Ono sounded uh, good on the documentary because he was part of the tape trading community and that I sounded scripted. And, you know, the the implication was that maybe I wasn't quite the serious fan that I made myself out to be and maybe I wasn't quite the tape trader or whatever. Maybe I didn't know anything about Tom McGee. I mean, you know, I wasn't scripted. I think everybody knows that. And I I think that the one thing, whether you like me or not, that you're not going to debate is whether or not I'm a fan of WWE specifically, but I will say that uh, Dave Meltzer did reach out afterwards, and we spoke, and you know he kind of he kind of took back some of that stuff, and 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 explained what he was thinking, and apologized a little bit. So I got no hard feelings about Dave Meltzer, and I I've, I've you know I'm an observer subscriber, so I like what Meltzer does, and I appreciate that he reached out and apologized a little bit. So for those of you wondering, squashed. It's over. We're all good. And, uh, you know, whether he likes what I'm doing or not, Dave knows that I'm a fan. You know, all he's got to do is check his records and see that I'm subscribing to his thing. So, you know, it's all good is what I'm saying. It's all good. And I'm just happy that the uh, Tom McGee story is out there now for absolutely everybody to enjoy. And just to be a little tiny piece of the WWE's telling of this story is like, a dream come true to me. To be able to go on there and talk about being a tape trader in high school is such a full circle moment. I I can't even explain it to you. It's awesome. And it's an awesome doc. And I would recommend you all go out and uh, and check it out. Story number four this week. Uh, Vince McMahon does an interview in Variety. Front page of Variety. One of the big Hollywood trades uh, is uh, Vince McMahon. And it's all about the WWE's new TV deal. And it's really all about the WWE as a as a... Media empire, you know, and this is something I've been saying for a long time. It felt like uh, the point of that Variety piece was trying to get at that the WWE is no longer a wrestling company. That the WWE is what I've been saying for a while now that it's it's you know more like uh, it's it's a media company. It's Disney. It's it's something so much bigger. You know, Raw, SmackDown, NXT. Those are wrestling brands. The WWE is an entertainment and media company, and they have really started to hone in on what their product is. You know, I, I, I love anything, uh, any anything that involves Vince McMahon explaining any part of his process, I find fascinating just because he doesn't do a lot of interviews, especially this day and age. He doesn't do a lot of that stuff. He doesn't do a lot of media. So when Vince McMahon sits down and uh, talks about his process or talks about his views on what the product is... I just think it's interesting. I just love to soak it all in. Um, You know, there was a comment in the article about uh, being open for business in terms of WWE being for sale or not. I can't imagine Vince McMahon would sell WWE. Uh, I mean, you never know. Crazy things happen. But uh, I can't imagine that he would sell WWE. I think that that's just out there to say, like, hey, let's, let's get the value up, you know? I think the idea that it... Could be open for business is is something that could be uh, make shareholders excited and make but I don't I don't know for sure. I would hope that Vince McMahon would never sell WWE. That's probably my point. You know, I love that it's one of the few companies in the world that is a publicly traded company and still feels like a family company. You know how difficult it is to be a publicly traded company and still have a guy like Vince McMahon with his hands on everything. That's why. I talk about Vince McMahon and think about Vince McMahon like the way I thought about Steve Jobs at Apple. You know, that that Apple is a, a, a giant company. It's a publicly traded company, but it really all revolves around Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs is Apple. Apple is Steve Jobs. Was, of course, but I'm talking about when Steve Jobs was still with us. That, to me, is how I see Vince McMahon. You know, you go back to Disney. When Walt was still alive, Disney... Was Walt Disney and Walt Disney was Disney and no matter how big it got okay we got animation over here we got live action over here okay you guys work on you know Disney got to a point where it was like Walt trusted somebody else to handle the animated films while he went and built theme parks you know unfortunately some of the animated films suffered at the time but still that's the legacy and I think what ends up happening is in the moment It becomes very easy to blame any flaw as it's happening. You know, I talked to Bill Hader from SNL on the radio today, and we were talking about Saturday Night Live and how the experience of a cast member, not even Lorne Michaels, but Lorne Michaels again, I mean, in that Vince McMahon, Steve Jobs, Walt Disney mold, where SNL and that whole brand, right now NBC comedy, late night, the whole thing, it revolves around Lorne Michaels. Lorne Michaels, it's just synonymous. Late-night NBC comedy is Lorne Michaels. Lorne Michaels is NBC late-night comedy. But Bill Hader was talking about uh, how, as a cast member on SNL, you uh, end up in this situation where every Sunday, every Monday, people are out there tweeting, writing articles, whatever it is. Everybody's out there talking about how much SNL sucks. You see it every weekend. Every Sunday, every Monday, people are talking about how SNL sucks, this cast member sucks. That cast member sucks. That's what people do with SNL. When a cast member leaves the show, that's when people go, oh, man, how is SNL going to function without this guy? This guy was the best. Everybody else sucks. Bill Hader said that was his experience. He said the same people that were writing about how much he sucked week to week after he left were the ones saying, you know, what an influence and what an influential uh, uh, figure uh He has been for SNL, how important he was. And I think that that's because uh, when you're doing it, people look at it on a very micro level. They can't pull back uh, uh, and see it on the macro level until maybe you step away. And I think that uh, the same holds true with Vince McMahon. I think when Vince McMahon is there and he has centered himself as the person behind WWE, when we see stuff in WWE happening that we don't like, He's going to be the one that we blame. And when week to week, when it's happening, it becomes difficult to not focus on that. But if Vince McMahon were to step away, for example, if he said, okay, you know what? I'm going to take a powder. I'm going to go uh, hang out with Linda and we're going to go to Tahiti for a year. I just need a vacation. I'm done. I'm going to leave it to somebody else. We'd still be saying... Week to week, ah, oh, why can't they do this right? Why can't they do that right? You know, when Vince was here, he never would have let this happen. You know, when Vince was here, he never would have let those details slip. You know, when Vince was here, and you mark my words, should Vince McMahon ever loosen the reins of the WWE? Right now, there are people out there that are like, yeah, then we could finally get some creativity. But I believe that the same people that are Our Tuesday and Wednesday quarterbacking uh, Raw and SmackDown would be the ones pining for the days of Vince McMahon if he left. And that's not to say that anybody's better than anybody else. That's to say that while we have somebody in front of us, it's easy to criticize. Once they are away, that's when we start to acknowledge the value that they've had. So, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, that's just something that occurred to me as I was reading this article in Variety. But I thought it was really interesting. I would uh, recommend it for anybody that's interested in WWE from a from a business standpoint and, and uh, to kind of learn a little bit. And it was a very pro-WWE piece, obviously. But to learn a little bit about uh, how they've become a media company and where their value really, really is. Let's move on to story number three. Speaking of value, there is a whole bunch of value right now. In Bray Wyatt. I feel like this uh, Firefly Funhouse has moved so nicely. So, when the Firefly Funhouse came out first, and I believe we talked about it a little bit with Kathy Kelly here on this podcast, it was one of those things where you liked it, you were interested, you were intrigued, but it was still, yeah, but it could get corny. You know, a lot of people were saying that is like, you know, this could either become something amazing, or this could become beaver cleavage. We don't know. Where is this going? Is there a plan for this? Or is Bray Wyatt going to come on TV every week and just act like a kid's TV show host? And then he shows up and he does the sociopath thing. And you go, whoa. And then you see the the kids with the kind of bored, dead, emotionless faces. And you go, oh. Okay, something's happening here. And then we finally saw this week on Raw. The secret, Bray's secret when the camera gets all warped and we see Bray appear and he's in a whole different outfit. He's got striped tights on. He's got the thing on. He's got the Tom Savini designed uh, movie effects. And I I don't know if Tom Savini himself designed the mask or if it's somebody with the Tom Savini company, but anybody who's into horror movies, you know, I, I say the name Tom Savini and you know exactly what I'm talking about. But we see this new incarnation, wowie, zowie, of Bray Wyatt and I am so excited to see this this is what I want to see out of Bray Wyatt unapologetic brutality evil venom villain horror that's what I want to see out of Bray Wyatt and that is what I got in the Firefly Funhouse segment during Raw and Smackdown this week I thought it was excellent I think he's excellent as this character now, uh, the question is, does that mean this is the end of the vignettes? I don't think in the uh, in, I don't think the vignettes should go on all that much longer if they are going to continue to go on. Maybe another week, if that. I'd be fine if they ended after last week, because you know, I, I think that uh, the the vignettes these days, people start to worry, that they're not going anywhere unless they am pretty quick. Storylines go a lot quicker these days than they ever did before. We can't spend eight weeks on TV with Mr. Perfect throwing footballs to himself. You know, it just doesn't work in 2019. Let me know what you're selling me, and I'll let you know if I'm interested in it. You know, I think that uh, Bray, if he were to show up at Money in the Bank, for example, I'd be super excited to see him. I'd be absolutely fine with it, but I think that I think that Bray, I think he needs to tread lightly. I think at this moment in Bray Wyatt's career in this character, you have to build fear. You have to give us reasons beyond just a scary mask why people are afraid of him. That means he has to win matches and he has to hurt people. You know, we have to 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 worry about the the people that he's hurting, and I don't want to see him have like a henchman hurt people. I want to see him hurt people, and that's why I think that when Bray Wyatt comes in, it should be in a scenario where he's kind of stalking people that maybe haven't had the juiciest storylines, you know? I mean, if Bray Wyatt comes in immediately and challenges Roman Reigns, if Bray Wyatt comes in immediately and challenges Finn Balor, for example, you know, oh, I want to see the demon versus Bray Wyatt, the Demon's going to beat Bray Wyatt. You have to understand this, right? The Demon doesn't lose matches. So if you're telling me the first rivalry that you want to see the new Bray Wyatt with is with Finn Bálor, then you're telling me that you want to see Bray Wyatt go through all this to get to pay-per-view and to lose. That's stupid. Okay, that that I I hope that that doesn't happen at all. If we want to believe that Bray Wyatt might beat a Demon Finn Bálor, we need to see a lot more build from Bray Wyatt. I think Bray Wyatt should come to Raw and start stalking Apollo Crews and go on. Number one, yeah, he's going to beat Apollo Cruz eventually, of course, but I think that it would give us time to get to know Bray Wyatt's character a little bit, and it would give Apollo Crews TV. Maybe we get invested in him. Maybe we'd sit there and go, you know what? I love this Bray Wyatt character. I'm glad that he won, but man, was Apollo Crews good tonight. You know? Have him take out Apollo Cruz to start. Apollo Cruz is a great good guy. He smiles. He's 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 he, there. There's there's you're attracted to Apollo Crews. You want to be around that guy. I like this guy, Apollo Cruz. That's the guy that you want to see Bray Wyatt going after. Maybe next he goes after the B team. You know, go back to the B team being fun, goofy guys, and Bray Wyatt just uh, destroys him. You know brings horror into their lives. Have him go through members of the roster that are on that level before he gets up to guys like Finn Balor, before he gets up to to, to guys like uh, Roman Reigns even. I mean, think about where Bray Wyatt was a few years ago. Bray Wyatt had a WrestleMania match with John Cena that a lot of people were arguing Bray Wyatt should win. I wanted Bray Wyatt to beat John Cena at WrestleMania. I thought it would have been great. When Bray Wyatt beat Daniel Bryan at the Royal Rumble, when he beat him, there was a moment where Bray Wyatt was like, I- I'm going, this is the guy. This is your guy right here. He is a former WWE champion. Let's not forget, he won the Elimination Chamber and won the WWE Championship. But before that, Bray Wyatt really was, he's like, this is your dude right now. This is your guy. And I think that's the space that we need to get Bray Wyatt back into. It's going to take some time to get there, but I think this is the character that can get him there if he just slowly and methodically starts picking off guys and injecting horror into their lives. I love it. I think it's great. Let's move on to story number two. And the only reason this is story number two is because I always like to... When it's a go-home podcast, story number one, I always like to make it the pay-per-view rundown. Story number two, then is going to be AEW announcing their TV. So it was announced uh, today. This is taped on Wednesday. You can watch this live if you're a superstar patron. Uh, uh, not Sam Shill patron. If you're a superstar, uh, not Sam Shill or above at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling, you can, of course, watch the state of wrestling live every week. Even if you're not a superstar level, if you're just a money mark level, and you're putting in four bucks a month, less than a dollar a week, you still get the podcast early. It'll still be Wednesday when you hear this, and not Thursday. However, at the time of this recording, it was today. At the Warner Upfronts, AEW, All Elite Wrestling announces that they're going to be on TNT this fall. Big look for AEW. Big, big, big look. Now, we don't know what day they're going to be on, we don't know what time they're going to be on, except we know that it's going to be on TNT. It's going to be live and it's going to be in prime time. I would imagine that they'll try to do it. I mean, you know, this. Will be, they're. I think they're saying the fall is when this is going to happen. Uh, by then in October, SmackDown moves to Friday, so you've got Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You know, maybe I. How great would it be? Monday you got Raw, Wednesday AEW, Friday SmackDown. I'm down for it. I'm here for it. Uh, I think, I think that the wrestling landscape is going to change not just because AEW is on TNT. I really think that the WWE that we're seeing right now is not going to be the same WWE that you see in October. I mean, you we talked about the variety article earlier on in the state of wrestling here. I really think that the the WWE that you see in October is going to be a completely refreshed WWE. I think that the product that WWE launches on Fox, it feels like they they are just considering this such a big deal that I think they're going to come in new, they're going to come in fresh and they're going to throw everything they have at the table. Now the fact that there's actual there's another wrestling promotion that's on national cable, that's on a basic cable channel that's on TNT every single week, I think WWE is even going to go a step further now. But I think that WWE is going to look completely different, mainly because of the Fox deal. I I think that that's part of the deal right now. I think WWE is in a little bit of a holding pattern because everything changes in October. I mean, will we still have the wild card rule in effect when SmackDown's on Friday and Raw isn't until Monday? Right now, SmackDown Tuesday, Raw Monday... Usually in a in a location that's fairly close to each other, it's a little bit easier to have guys work both shows. Will guys be working both shows when SmackDown is on Fox? I don't know. I don't know, but I do think SmackDown will be very different come October. And when SmackDown becomes different, I think Raw will follow suit. Okay? I think injecting AEW onto TNT is going to make everything different. Uh, but you know, AEW has the world to prove right now. You know, I, I, when I read about AEW, they talk about, uh, that they're going to, it's an alternative to WWE, which I agree with and I buy. Um, but they say that it is a more sports centric alternative, which is fine. And I can buy that too. But I don't think that the secret sauce here for AEW is going to be to be more sports centric. Because what brought these guys to the dance was actually being less sports-centric, in my opinion. I mean, you could argue that New Japan is is more sports-centric, and that's probably true. But I think what really has created all this interest in AEW is the storytelling that's happened. I think the storytelling that's happened via the YouTube channel of the Young Bucks, the storytelling that's happening, you know, with Cody Rhodes making that list when he first left WWE, the storytelling that's happening online and the cool factor that is being added into all of this, that, I think, is going to be the difference maker. And I think that that might be a little bit hard to define, and so saying sports-centric may be the way to go, but I think that in order to make the biggest impact, you just got to be a cool show. You have to be a show... That, that everybody wants to watch. You know, they're saying, uh, I cringe a little bit. People are saying, well, this means the rest, uh, another wrestling boom is on its way. Another wrestling boom period is coming. Stop saying that. During the Attitude Era, nobody said that. I mean, I cringe in the same way I cringe when people say Becky Lynch is the next Stone Cold or so-and-so because Stone Cold wasn't the next Hulk Hogan. Stone Cold was just Stone Cold. The Rock was just The Rock. The Undertaker's just The Undertaker. The Attitude Era was just WWE and it happened to be the biggest thing on television. Once it was happening, yeah, people were like, oh my God, wrestling is huge again. But before we got there, nobody was going like, ah, we're ready for another boom period. You know, I think let it's going to look different. We, we're, you know, and I think that AEW is going to do this. Everything, we're not, we, we can't go back and try to repeat what worked in the late 90s. We have to uh, change everything so that it appeals to what will work in 2019. And I think that uh, both WWE and AEW are capable of doing that. But I think that instead of concentrating on having a boom period or having another Monday Night War or having, something that has already happened, I think that we as wrestling fans should just go, I don't know what's going to happen this fall, but it's going to be hella different, and it's going to be awesome. I think that's where our minds should be, not trying to repeat something that's already happened or try to predict a boom period. As wrestling fans, what do we care if it's a boom period? We only care if the shows are good. So that's really where we should be at. Oh man, I think this October there's going to be a lot of good sh- wrestling shows on TV. And I think that that's true. You know, I think that that is where we should be focused. Speaking of wrestling shows, uh let's get in to the number one story this week and that of course is Money in the Bank. Money 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 money. Have you noticed they changed the uh classic Money in the Bank song? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh let's go over the matches. For Money in the Bank, this Sunday night on Pay-Per-View or WWE Network, I, of course, will be a part of the kickoff show on the WWE Network, the Money in the Bank kickoff show, uh, coming to you starting at uh, 6 p.m. Eastern over on WWE Network and WWE's uh, social media channels. Uh, The pre-show match, as we talked about earlier in the podcast, Daniel Bryan and Rowan are defending... I believe they're defending the SmackDown tag titles. The thing I'm reading is just saying it's a tag team match, but I believe it's for the SmackDown tag team championships against the Usos. Um, absolutely, I think Brian and Rowan should win. Number one, the Usos don't even wrestle on SmackDown anymore. But number two, I loved what I've seen out of them so far. I think that there is so much potential for them, and I think if the Usos are going to run around with Uzi Hot, they should worry about pulling their pranks, and Daniel Bryan and Rowan will worry about being the tag team champions of the world. I'm wondering here, you've now got 10 matches. Daniel Bryan and Rowan versus the Usos has been announced as being on the pre-show. Will we see a Cruiserweight Championship match on the main pay-per-view show? Somebody tweet me. I should have done the research before I started State of Wrestling. I would love to know when the last time we saw the Cruiserweight title defended on the main show of a pay-per-view was. Because we are on the precipice of maybe seeing it. Now, there could be two matches on the pre-show. Could be two matches on the kickoff show as always. But maybe not. We'll see. It's Tony Nese versus Arya Davari. Um I love seeing Davari get a shot at this title. First of all, I love that there's some fresh blood. Tony Nese defending this title, uh, you know, watching Tony Nice uh you know on on the on the East Coast Indies for as long as he was there and then seeing him uh you know win that Cruiserweight title at WrestleMania and now Uh, Be defending that title is super cool, and I've always I I love the evolution of Davari's character. I think he's found something fresh and uh, unique to show off that is that is him, and it feels authentic. uh, And I like watching him. So uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I think Tony Nieves will retain, but I'm happy to see Davari get that uh, championship opportunity. United States Championship is on the line. Samoa Joe and Rey Mysterio, look. Samoa Joe made minced meat out of Rey Mysterio uh on on at WrestleMania. Rey Mysterio did get a lucky roll-up victory over Samoa Joe later. I think Samoa Joe will not only take out Rey Mysterio to retain that United States Championship, but I think Rey Mysterio bringing his family with him everywhere he goes is going to go ahead and get his son hurt. I think I think young Dominic is in for a world of pain. I don't think Samoa Joe is going to be able to keep his hands off of Rey Mysterio's family. And I think that we may see Dominic get hurt at this Money in the Bank show. Uh, And honestly, you don't want your son to get hurt? Don't bring him into a WWE arena. You know, don't have him there celebrating your victories. Right? Makes sense to me. Kofi Kingston defending the WWE Championship against Kevin Owens. I like that Kevin Owens is a bad guy again. I think this is a fitting match. I think Colby Kingston retains the WWE Championship. Steel Cage match. Miz versus Shane McMahon. I could watch the Miz get screwed out of of victories every pay-per-view. It's so funny watching the Miz become a good guy that is believable. But, you know, I think that while you have the Miz as this believable good guy, why not keep cashing in on it? You know, there's nothing that is more sympathetic than a guy that you like who's finally getting what he deserves— and then get screwed over. You know, you've been waiting to see Miz finally get this victory. We finally, after all the years of him being a villain, we want to see him win, and we're not going to get to see it. I love that. I don't care if uh, Shane McMahon has to get thrown through the cage Big Show style. I absolutely think that Shane McMahon should win this match. I would love to see old uh, George Mizanin climb up that steel cage Pull Shane over the top. I would love to see a George and heel turn at Money in the Bank personally. I would like to see the Miz's dad turn on him. I think that'd be great. So I'm all Shane McMahon in this match. Uh, we got uh, Roman Reigns versus Elias. I think this is a decent spot for Roman Reigns. Again, keep keeping him outside of that WWE championship space. Letting Kofi Kingston get his room. Uh, good spot for Elias. I love the union between Elias and Shane McMahon. Uh, so, but I'm going all Roman Reigns, obviously, in this match. That's, I, I think that, I think that that's what's going to happen. You know, unless Elias cheats, gets the victory, and it leads to a, uh, you know, I think the next, is the next pay-per-view Extreme Rules? I don't even know. But we, I, yeah, we're probably going to see Roman Reigns win. But you never know. We could see Elias win with, like, a guitar shot or something leading to a guitar and a pole match or something at the next pay-per-view. Um... You got the two Becky Lynch matches. She's defending the SmackDown Women's Championship against Charlotte. She's defending the Raw Women's Championship against Lacey Evans. I would like to see Becky Lynch walk out beating Charlotte early in the night only to lose to Lacey Evans later in the night. I think that makes Lacey Evans. I think it gets a whole lot off of Becky's plate. Although, then Becky has to go back and avenge that loss. Uh, that's what I'd like to see. I'd like to see Charlotte get that definitive win over... I mean, Becky get that definitive win over Charlotte. And then we turn around and say, like, you know, we we feel like Becky is going to get this this, uh, this hero's night only to have the whole thing get spoiled by Lacey Evans winning the Raw Women's Championship. And I think it'd be amazing for Lacey Evans. Uh, Seth Rollins and AJ Styles are going at it for the Universal Championship. I think that this is all... Seth Rollins, but I think AJ is going to be this close to it, this close. Let's look at these Money in the Bank matches. The women's Money in the Bank match, uh, Natalia, Dana Brooke, Naomi, Alexa Bliss, Bailey, Mandy Rose, Ember Moon, Carmella. Obviously, Dana Brooke is going to, I'm kidding, <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, you know, I think that uh, my two. I have two picks for this match that could work for me. I think uh, uh, Mandy Rose winning would be great. My first pick, if I could pick any, it would be Mandy Rose winning uh, and becoming Miss Money in the Bank because I love the idea of Sonia Deville having to live with the fact that she gave her opportunity up. If you remember a couple weeks ago, she sat back and she said, you can have the spot. Only one of us is going to get into this match. It can be you, Mandy. To have Mandy win... And walk around flaunting that contract and to have Sonya on the sidelines going, that could have been me. I love that story. I that That's the story that I want. I completely want Mandy Rose winning this match and having Sonya Deville regretting her decision. Um, you know, I, I, I am a fan of the union. Whatever's going on between Nikki Cross and Alexa Bliss right now, I'm a fan of it. I want it to continue. And so the idea of Nikki Cross helping Alexa Bliss win that briefcase, I love just because, you know, Alexa Bliss walking around with Nikki Cross as her muscle, but almost not really wanting her around. Like that unpredictable thing, not so much like a diesel, but like how, uh, you know, like when Vince McMahon had Mankind around watching his back. Mankind would call him dad and stuff, and Vince wanted nothing to do with him, but knew it was better for business to have Mankind watching his back. I love the idea of Alexa Bliss not really wanting Nikki Cross around because she's so nuts, but understanding that it's better for business and Nikki Cross is going to help her win matches. So I'd be okay with either one of those scenarios, but those are the stories that I'd like to come out of them. And then, of course, last, certainly not least, uh, the men's Money in the Bank ladder match. That's Sami Zayn, not Braun Strowman. Ricochet, Drew McIntyre, Baron Corbin, Ali... Finn Balor, Andrade, and Randy Orton. I mean, I think Andrade right now is the underdog in this thing. You know, I think that, uh, I don't think Sami Zayn's going to win. He he doesn't need to win. Sami Zayn is right now, he and Daniel Bryan are the two best bad guys in the entire company. I think that you use this money in the bank contract to help somebody who might need the boost because Sami Zayn is doing just fine without it. Uh, Ricochet, I don't think it's time. You know, I don't think he needs the extra baggage right now. I think that the WWE is still in a position where they're not quite sure where he's going to land. He wins, he loses. He wins, he loses. You know, I don't think that now is the time for Ricochet to have that briefcase. But I do think that this is going to be a match where Ricochet sign, uh, shines, completely shines. Um, you know, I I think I would say Bar- uh, Drew McIntyre would be a great uh, person for the briefcase. But I think it would be even better if we started to see some dissension arise between Baron Corbin and Drew McIntyre. You know, I, I love the idea of freshening things up and maybe having these two face each other at some point. I think Ali could really use it. He's one of my picks. Ali being the Money in the Bank winner, I think it would almost have a CM Punk type feel to it. The first one that he won in the sense that, uh, you know, they it would harken back to him not getting the opportunity that he thought he was going to get at Elimination Chamber and never quite being there. You know, this wouldn't be the bad guy, ultimate opportunist Money in the Bank cash in, but it would be the I'm the guy that was not supposed to be here and now I'm here type of Money in the Bank cash in. Uh, So I'd be happy with that. Finn Balor, I'm good with him as IC champ. Uh, Randy Orton, I you know, just keep dropping RKOs out of nowhere. Dropping that RKO on uh, Ali on SmackDown was incredible. Uh, But Andrade is my other pick. Ali or Andrade to win that one. You know, Andrade just because I think he really needs it. He needs something. Something. And I think that that could could be the thing uh, that adds to it, you know? Because right now Andrade is, yeah, I, I think he's the best. I think he's awesome. But he's not quite there. And I think that he needs something to place himself in the conversation And that would put him right there. So that's what I like. That's what I like about Money in the Bank. I'll be talking about it on the kickoff show. I'll be talking to you next week. Thank you all for being a part of Not Sam Wrestling once again. And I'll see you then.
2: Goodbye. Thanks for listening. Follow at Not Sam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.
1: Read, review, and subscribe.